Good morning. My name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here. Is it cold enough for y'all today? Nice and, and chilly outside. Uh, let's warm up for just a second. Uh, there's nothing special or magical about what we're about to do, but uh, I just want to read our text this morning. If you don't mind just standing with me, and I'm going to read uh, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. Then we're going to pray, and we'll dive in. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. This is important. And this is my prayer, says Paul to the church at Philippi, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So God, that's my prayer this morning for us, for us as a church, that our love would abound more and more, that we would grow in the knowledge of love, the depth and insight of love, Lord, to discern love, that we may be pure and blameless for the day of your son returning. I pray that you would be near to us this morning, God, what we know not. I pray that you would teach us, God, what we are not. I pray that you would make us, Lord, and what we have not that we need. I pray that you would give us, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I want you to picture something with me. I want you to picture yourself at the beach. Now, we live in Statesboro, so we have to picture a vacation day at the beach. But if you can, picture with me, you own a house at the beach. You have, you've walked down to the beach, nice and warm, sunny, and you're getting set up for the day, right? You got the tent is set up, the chair is out, you got your cooler filled with water and Capri Sun, check your heart. Uh, you're set up, you're ready to go. You're in your chair, got your beach towel. And I want you to picture in that moment, a stranger from another country walks up and sits down next to you. Now I want you to feel the weight of this. The future of the gospel depends on how you respond to that stranger interrupting your trip to the beach. The future of the movement of the gospel progressing to all the places that it's going to go depends on how you respond to a stranger interrupting your trip to the beach. Here's what I want you to understand. That's not just a hypothetical. That's what we see in Philippi. The gospel, before it transformed the first small group in Philippi, before it establishes the church in Philippi, before it gives Paul such joy to write a letter to all the saints in Philippi, it started with a wealthy Greek woman at the beach. There's a lot stacked up against her in this moment, right? She's at the beach talking to a stranger. But what we also know about this woman named Lydia is that she is, she's wealthy. She's a business owner. 
She's well-to-do in an established, prominent town. And on top of that, she has previously held religious beliefs. She's not coming into it like, yeah, I've never heard of God. Paul sits down next to her, and she already has preconceived religious beliefs. Can you imagine the weight of that? They sit down next to her, and there's so much working against Lydia in this moment. Put yourself in, your sh- in her shoes. How, how is this conversation going to go? I mean, if I'm being honest, for me, I'm probably putting my headphones back in, and I'm calling it a day. I'm enjoying a sunny day at the beach. But Lydia, the woman that I'm talking about, she does something spectacular. She hears Paul out. She doesn't, this is what I love, she doesn't settle for the religion that she knows, that she's familiar with, that's built into her identity at this point. She makes a decision to follow God through the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Jesus Christ that Paul sits down next to her and tells her about. A day at the beach becomes a salvation moment because she allows her mind to be changed, not just about a God that she is convinced is out there, but the one that is heralded through Jesus Christ. Paul baptizes her that day. What what a day. Luke records for us in Acts that this is the starting point for what would become the joyful, fruitful people of Philippi. We've spent two weeks on Philippians 1, 1 and 2, and it gets into this extremely encouraging letter, but it starts with Lydia on the beach. How many of you could say you could use you know, a little bit of encouragement this morning, a little, a little bit of love, a little celebration this morning? I know I could. See, with, with a story like Philippians, it's easy to miss all of the work that went into getting it to where it was. To me, this hits deeply home with connection. It's easy to experience what we have now and forget about all the work that went into making this church what it was or what it is today. But this is what I want want you to understand. This is where I think we find common ground here this morning when we look at Philippians. God has always, always, always been in the business. He's always been interested in using the small, the counted out, the unlikely, the least of these to accomplish world-changing events. Leading a group of, a little family of 70 down to Egypt, and he multiplies them into a a, a nation of over 600,000 leading Israel into Canaan. This is a a homeless tribe of 600,000 plus people just walking around in the wilderness for 40 years. The text says their sandals never gave out and they never formed blisters on their feet, walking around in the desert. Jesus with the disciples taking what we commonly joke about, right? This common band of ordinary idiots just walking around with them. And he takes those 12 And the progression of the gospel to today is because of the faithfulness of those 12. And then now here, Paul with Lydia. Paul is just making his way east. Somebody appears to him in a dream, says a Macedonian man says, come over here. We need your help. 
And Lydia is who he encounters the first day on the beach. God is in the business of using small, seemingly insignificant, the least of these actors on his grand stage. I want you to listen to this. I was reading this to my kids a few nights ago. This is called the Gospel Story Bible, and it's recording. Uh, you're going to think it's childish until I start reading it. Somebody looked at me and said, your kid understood any of that? I was like, no, no they did not. But let me read this for us, because this will help us get from Acts to where we are with Philippians 1. While he was under arrest, Paul spent a lot of time praying for the different churches he started. By the way, Philippians is being written by Paul while he's in prison, just for context. He spent a lot of time praying for the different churches he started. One of the churches he prayed for was in Philippi, a city in Macedonia, not far from the sea. Did you know Paul hadn't even planned to visit Philippi? He was going in the opposite direction, but the Holy Spirit stopped him and gave Paul a vision of a Macedonian man who was calling out, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul obeyed God's leading, and that is how he got to Philippi. When he arrived, Paul told the people about Jesus, and many of them believed. Soon they started the Philippian church. I love when a kid's book starts teaching kids about church planting. That's just great. Now that Paul was in prison, he couldn't visit his friends in Philippi, so he decided to write them a letter. He wanted to encourage them, teach them, remind them to keep, to keep following Jesus. Paul started his letter by writing, I thank God every time I remember you. Whenever I pray for you, I am filled with joy because from the first day I met you until now, we have worked together for Jesus. I am sure that God who began this good work in you will keep it going. He will finish this work in you when Jesus Christ comes back. Paul knew that if the Philippian church was going to stay strong, the people would need to live like Jesus lived. He told them, don't just think about yourselves, think about each other. Be humble, take care of other people as if they are more important than you are. As he wrote, the Holy Spirit reminded Paul that Jesus was the best example of humility the world has ever seen. So Paul pointed the Philippians to Jesus who gave up all the wonderful things that he had in heaven to come and help us. As God, Jesus could have stayed where angels loved and worshiped him. But instead, Jesus left his place in heaven to become a little human baby in a manger. Finally, Paul said he was willing to die on the cross for our sins. The perfect son of God who had never done anything wrong died like a criminal because he wanted to take the punishment we deserved. Because of, this, because of his great sacrifice, God the Father praised and honored Jesus and gave to him a name above all others. So one day, everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow down when they hear the name Jesus. And one day, every person will honor Jesus Christ as the Lord over all. Paul told his friends, think about how Jesus lived for us and live like him. If you do, you will shine like lights in a dark world. I will know my work and prayers for you will not be wasted, even though I can't be with you. Now I'll try explaining that to a five-year-old. That was a, a, a tough task that night. But as I read that, I was like, that is just, that's it in such plain language. Jesus was the example. Live like Jesus. 
Paul thinking about his friends in Philippi. He's in prison. He has these wonderful memories of this church in Philippi. And he's like, what a moment. Look at everything that we shared together. And I don't know about you guys. When I think about this and I think about the story of Philippi and I think about everything that Paul went through in Acts 16, it makes me think about the fact that I want my life to count. I want this life that I have to matter. I want to live my life in such a way that my kids are proud. I want to live a life that is fruitful, that matters, and that impacts more than just my credit score and bank account. So when I read stories like Acts 16 and Philippians 1, this is the question that it makes me ask. How did that happen? How did that happen? How, how did everything that transpired through Acts 16 and it develops into a church plant, what happened? What were the ingredients that make up that cake? This is the story of Philippi in four E's that I would give you. Experiences, equipping, establishing, and encouragement. This is just the story of Philippi. They experienced God powerfully. We see this in Acts 16. This slave girl begins, we've already covered Lydia, right? Lydia gets saved, baptized at the beach. It says her entire family gets baptized. This slave girl begins following Paul and Silas around, causing them problems. Paul casts a demon out of this little slave girl, and it, in, it interrupts trade in the city. People were trading on the talents of this little slave girl. The city begins to persecute Paul and Silas and their whole gang of people. They are then miraculously freed from prison. Think about these experiences. Imagine if you had all of these spiritual experiences in your life. There's this miraculous salvation of the jailer that was there guarding Paul and Silas, hears them worshiping. This earthquake happens, and he wants to get saved, he and all of his house. They had experiences that only God could get the credit for, and that made them hungry for more. That more led to our second E. They began to be equipped. They were equipped through these experiences. They were both educated in some things, and they get, began to engage with some things. Paul and Silas worshiped through their chains. Acts 16 shows us that at, no sooner had they been chained in prison than around midnight, they just started singing hymns. There was something in their experiences that led them to be equipped for that moment, to know that my way out of these chains is not just through a key, but it's through worship. Lydia and her house prayed for Paul and Silas. We can see this in the Gospels too when Peter and John are in jail. Mary and all the other disciples begin to just pray. They begin to just pray. They're like, we've experienced this before. We are going to pray. We're going to pray that God would move. And no doubt Lydia and all of the house, what else do they need to do? They just got baptized like 14 days ago. And they just gather in Lydia's house. We're just going to pray. And miraculous things began to happen. The church, the church, the, the early seeds of the church, Lydia was, was so wealthy that the text describes she was a, a dealer of purple cloth. She probably was a, an extremely well-off individual, so much so that a, a band of five people show up, share the gospel with her on the beach and say, I got room for y'all at my house. That's a pretty decent sized house. It says that potentially even the earliest church in Philippi met at her house. More and more gathering 
in her house. There's enough room there for her. The church was given story after story, and this began to equip them. Their experiences gave way to them being equipped, and this, the equipping established these faith-filled Christians that then established a church in Philippi. Philippians 1.7 it said, it, uh, Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. What's he saying? He's saying your, your role as a part of the church wasn't just to run into the house and pray whenever I got locked up. You have been instrumental in establishing a local church here in a city that had no gospel presence whatsoever. They were partners in that. That's the name of our series, right? We're partners in the gospel. These are the OG partners of planting a church in Philippi. This is the original planting team. This is the, the original core group. This is the original small group of people that they had experiences with God and they were equipped through them and that led to the establishing of a church. The experiences were not just Paul's. The equipping was not just Paul's. The establishing of the church was not just Paul's. Philippians 1.1, he writes the letter to all the saints, all the saints, every Christian, every person who would say they are a follower of Jesus in the city of Philippi, Paul writes this letter. Finally, Paul is able to look back at the experiences, the growth, and the work that they did. And he sends this joyful letter known as Philippians, this loving encouragement that, again, Paul is writing from prison. He thinks back to everything that they had been through, and he sends this letter that is encouragement. And as I think about this, right, we, we can kind of see how all of this takes place in the story of Philippi. But it makes you wonder. I hope it does. I hope it makes you wonder. It makes me wonder, how can I get a little bit of that? How can I, how can I have all of that? How, how can we today, brass tacks, how can we experience that? These are the two main points of my sermon this morning that I want to share with you. How can we experience, as we read this incredible encouragement that Paul ends with such a powerful prayer. How can we experience that? I would say two things. We need to live God's mission and we need to love God's way. If we want to experience what the early church did in Philippi, if we want to see what Paul's heart was for the Philippians then and for Connection Church today, we need to live God's mission and we need to love God's way. What do we need? How do we live the mission? So we laid out exactly what they did. We need to model that same process of the four E's of, of experiencing God, being equipped for the mission of God, to, uh, to be encouraged by the body of Christ. But I want to I lay it out this way. What do we need? What do we need in order to live as a part of the mission of God? And this is so this is exactly in line with a lot of what JC was sharing in the announcement time. We need a community to belong to. We need a mission to participate in. We need accountability from our community, and we need discipline for the mission. What do we need? If we want to live as a part of God's mission, we need a community to belong to. 
When we encourage us as a church to get plugged in with something like heart and soul, it's not just for us to be able to count metrics on a sheet to say, oh, so-and-so has attended heart and soul. It's an invitation to who we are as a community of people. There's a reason that Paul addresses the letter to all of the saints in Philippi. The, the people that would have been known as the saints in Philippi would have been obvious by the way they lived and the community that they belong to. Think about this. No sooner one of the first faith-filled actions that Lydia takes invites Paul and Silas and their whole gang into her home, and then they get arrested, and she gathers the Christians remaining, and they begin to pray, and then as soon as Paul is released from prison, she's like, you guys got a home here. The same people that their business is interrupted in Philippi. She would have been in the same town square, the same business circles with them. Her faith step is, whatever it costs me over there, you guys are welcome here because I'm a part of you. The community would have been obvious. They needed a community to belong to, and that community was those who were followers of Jesus. They, we need a mission to participate in. There are two ditches to this. There's two ditches of we can become so fixated on creating community that we forget to participate in the mission. We, we don't need community for community's sake just to have more people in our lives and more you know, vague friendships that kind of matter but don't. We need friendships forged in the mission of God. These last two are particularly difficult, if I'm being honest with you. We don't just need any type of community. We need a community that we will open ourselves up to hold us accountable. This is why for us, connect groups are so powerful. You can be deeply known, and that group of people can help hold you accountable. Accountable for your participation in the mission. Accountable for your participation in the community people that want to walk alongside you and help you grow. This is, this is what's so, so crazy when I think about Lydia and Silas and Luke, who would have been walking around with them. When I think about, what, do you think there would have been a time Lydia would have been like, you know, I just don't think this group is for me. I really like Jesus, but, you know, this group, it just doesn't really fit my style. This, I don't think this group really provides what I need in this stage of my life. There wouldn't have been a like optional version of community where it's like, you know, I really want to follow Jesus and he sounds great, but I, I just need a community that kind of fits what I need. There was such deep interwoven participation in the mission that to complete the mission, they needed the community and to exist in the community, they understood the mission. They had opened themselves up to let the community hold them accountable. I mean, what they're going through, there's a reason that Paul has to write back and say, I'm aware that I was locked up. I'm aware that I was put away in prison, and I'm aware that you stuck by me. Because that's not always the case. There's a much later time when Paul writes to Timothy and says, everybody has abandoned me, except for these two people. The Philippians stuck by Paul in the community, on the mission, holding each other accountable, and they were disciplined for the mission. What I mean disciplined for the mission is 
Not just, I'm not going to just wait for the community to hold me accountable. The mission matters to me, and I'm going to discipline myself for the sake of the mission. I'm not just going to allow myself to sink into seasons where I just forget about God and do life my way. I'm going to hold myself accountable alongside the community. I got to move on. American Bible Belt Christianity makes us soft. So often we want truckloads of encouragement to live off of other people's spiritual labor, not to own our faith and grow ourselves, all the while expecting miraculous movements of God. We need this overabundance of encouragement to just be poured onto us just so we can be extra lazy and not be equipped, just so we can live off of the established work of other people's sacrifices and then look around with the entitlement to say, why can't God do something miraculous here? We will not experience all of God apart from participating in his mission. He designed it that way. He set it up that way. The community is meant to give us encouragement, but the Philippians are receiving this encouragement on the back of months and years and sacrificial service. The here and now wonders of Philippi led them to make strategic future plans that were propelled by one faith that Jesus actually came actual real belief. Jesus came. He came and he died and he was resurrected. That, that changes something in your brain when you wrap your head around that to say, that means my life needs to change. And not just miraculous here and now moments, but let's, let's wrap our heads around this thing. What, so the, we've got a church here. What about in Ephesus? What about in Corinth? What about in Rome? Paul, you know what's crazy? What if we sent you to Spain? The Philippian community was a consistent income stream for Paul and his missionary labors. They would send people with the offering that the church would take up to support Paul, even in his imprisonment. The here and now wonders of the little slave girl that's set free of of the, the jail being shaken because of an earthquake, of just these miraculous things, those here and now wonders eventually led to strategic, long-term planning to see the gospel go further and further and further. But then they also had another belief. Jesus will return. Jesus will return. That makes the, the work worth it. I'll sacrifice, I'll give because my inheritance is not here. Every miracle could occur in this room right now and that doesn't change the fact that our inheritance is in heaven. Their salvation was by faith. They knew Jesus returning was by faith. But yet right now, their sanctification, their participation in the mission was by faith. And they got to experience more of the saving work of Jesus and they felt more confident in the return of Jesus as they participated in the mission right now. 
our sanctification, our growth in the Lord is also by faith. Our lives are lived by faith. We need mission-driven, faith-filled, strategic action to truly experience God. If we aren't taking mission-driven, faith-filled actions, we will not experience the God that we claim we know. This is... This is why my heart beats so hard for what we're doing with the Connection Network. We're gonna put a strategic flag in the ground, 50 churches by 2050, and we're gonna work at that process. We have no idea where all the church planters are coming from. We have no idea how we're gonna fund it. We have no idea what all that's gonna look like, but we believe that God is honored by the planting of churches. Paul did in Philippi. We need here and now moments for Jesus to intervene in our life. But we need strategic, long-term mission endeavors to give our lives over to. What if one person in here said, no matter what, by the end of my life, I'm gonna start a boy's home. And that boy's home for the first year had two boys in it. And then the next year had two boys in it. The next year it had one boy in it. The next year it had three and four. You start doing the math of that. You've given your life over to the changing of dozens and dozens of lives. What if you made a a strategic, lifelong, faith-filled commitment? I'm going to disciple one person this year. And then the next year, I'm going to disciple one and another and another. You've given your life over to strategic, long-term participation in the mission of God. So number one, we need to live God's mission if we want to experience what people did in Philippi, but we also need to love God's way. If we are going to love God's way, we need his definition of love, and we need to direct that love the way God intended. Let me read verses 9 through 11 again, and this is my prayer. This is my prayer. Paul recounting everything that's happened, every reason he's so thankful for them, What, God, can I summon in this moment to give to the church at Philippi? This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to look at this. Uh, Morgan put this together for me. It's it's this dynamic love graph uh, that shows everything that I see in this verse. At the heart of it, Paul is praying that your love would grow, but then he gives, I don't know, whatever count that is, seven of different descriptions that are all aspects of the definition that God lays out for us of love. I don't need you to memorize that. I just need you to look at that and realize, wow, love is way more complicated than I thought it was. Wow, maybe, maybe I don't quite love, maybe love is more than an emotion, a feeling, this fluffy thing. It has some concreteness to it. It has some practicality to it. Let me walk through this real quick. Look at this multi-dimensional definition of love God gives us in verses 9 and 10. Abound more and more. This is dynamic love. It's love that doesn't live off of yesterday's love, but is hungry to grow. And it increases not just once, but more and more. 
in knowledge, knowledge in how to love. That's what that, the word there means. It's, think about this, it's studiously crafted love. It's loving action for other people that you've sat and studied, how is this person gonna receive this love? And depth of insight, that's insightful, loving action. It's a deeper understanding of how to take action based on love so that you may be able to, to discern what is best. But Paul adds this phrase to specify that a Jesus-driven love does not settle for the difference between a good and bad action. Jesus-driven love discerns between good and best. I'm gonna discern that this is the best way for me to communicate love to this person, that it may be pure, this is love-motivated growth in righteous living. In other words, what Paul is inferring here is that our own purity in following God matters, not just for my life, but for another person's life. And my love for another person would motivate me to walk righteously before God and blameless. So not only pure, but practical it means that a person took the appropriate love action in every circumstance. They loved without fault, filled with the fruit of righteousness. So not only righteous, but righteousness that's spilling over into someone else's life, a fruitful righteousness for the day of Christ to the glory and praise of God. And that's the direction of our love and motivation for our love to the glory of God. There's a million sermons in just these couple points, but I want you to think about this with me. If we can dial in on these principles of love, we're gonna make a difference. This is, this is where, I, this is, I, I couldn't hardly sleep last night thinking about this because this is so, such a hard thing to communicate. This is such a hard thing to try to explain because this is the source of all of our hangups. This is the source of all of our hurts, our frustrations, why we, why we lose sleep, why we get frustrated in conversations. It's because we struggle with how to love and to be loved. We struggle receiving it. We struggle giving it. What one person meant as love, we interpret as, as anger. What we meant to try to communicate as love, another person receives as frustration. I, I just so badly, I wanna get this across that I, I'm just gonna, you know, just bear with me, I'm not a crazy person, okay? All right, I want you to look at this car with me, right? Anybody disagree that this is a car? Can we all, if we walk away with no other common ground this morning, we're all on the same page that this is a car, right? So uh, when I look at this car, right, let me, let me just see if I do this. There was no testing done in this, so hopefully this works. Yeah, just like I thought. All right, side mirror, that's gone, right? All right, what is this? It's a car. Okay, fair enough. So no side mirror, one, minus, minus one side mirror, still a car, fair enough. All right, so what if I, let's see here. I'm wondering how this is gonna go. How about that? What's this? Is this still a car? It's, it's getting a lot less functional. It's not going, I mean, it's not trending in the right direction for sure. Uh, you know, it's still got some seats, still can run. I mean, that's gonna definitely scrape on the ground. All right, what if I, let's see, 
This is a Corvette, so the motor's in the back. What if I just reach in here and just, no, that one didn't work. What if we just take this right here and maybe we'll just, all right, now the motor's not covered. Is this still a car? I mean, it's getting closer and closer to a, a, a redneck lawn decoration, if anything. It's getting closer to that than a car. But listen, if I kept, if I got in here and I got these seats and I pulled those out, if I pulled the hood off of this thing, if I pulled some more tires off of this thing, sooner or later, when I start taking more and more parts off of that thing that used to be a car, it ceases to be a car. It's certainly, even without the mirror, it ceases to function at the full capacity that it could have. And if I take enough pieces on it, off of it, it's just a big metal decoration. At some point, if we take all of the parts off of Jesus' prescribed love, it ceases to be love. And it's, it's why in the middle of life, as we're going, we're looking around, why is that person so angry with me? Why is my boss so mad at me? Why is, my, why is there tension with my spouse? It's because everything that we are intending as love, if it's not insightful, discerning, pure, blameless, it ceases to be felt as love. I want you to think about this with me. I want you to imagine that I, let's say today, let's say today I, as Jordan, got in my car and I drove all the way to the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory. And I got there and I bought the most expensive package of chocolate that I could. And I drove all the way back. And that's the story that I shared with you. And I said, I got this chocolate for my wife. How cool am I? And you would be like, dude, that's a pretty heroic chocolate story. That's pretty crazy right there. What if I then filled in the other gaps, which is that I left my wife at home with a newborn and two other kids. I didn't tell her that I was leaving. I took three days to get there and I ate all the chocolate on my way back. Changes the story. That's not pure. That's not blameless. That's not discerning. That's not knowledgeable. It's not any of the things that we listed as what God has prescribed love to be. Why do we need such a rich description of love? Because we would make life about us apart from it. God tells us in his word that our hearts are deceitful above all things. And that, that little pumping muscle that we attach love to, it's deceitful. We need God to give us a new definition of love so that we can experience the world differently. Love belongs to God. It's defined by God. In every single one of those arrows, love is, the, the, the actions of love are moving out. And this is why, because I have found enough in Jesus that I don't need everyone else to fill me up. I am full of Christ. And that lets me live in a sacrificial way to love others freely without concern for myself. But what I know as a part of Christ is he gives me community and he gives me a mission. And that is part of God's means of filling us back up so that we can love others. 
if we want to see, if nothing else, God has earned our allegiance to this definition of love at the cross. God so loved that he gave his only son. I want to give two invitations this morning, and I want you to, to make a prayerful decision about this decision this morning. I'm going to have our prayer team, if, if they're willing, to come up to the front eventually when we start singing here in just a second. I, may, maybe you're here today, and your love is a lot more like this car. The wheel's off, the hood's busted, the seat's ripped up, the engine's out. And the whole time you felt like you've been walking around whole. You felt like you had love together. But today, maybe you realize you don't. Because you've never been transformed into, transformed by the love of Jesus. Therefore, you can't display the love of Jesus. Maybe you need to be like Lydia and not let the previously held religious convictions that you thought you had keep you from a real encounter with Jesus. Jesus, can, Jesus is transforming our busted up car every day. Every single day, I need him to put another piece back on because I'll drive to that Ghirardelli chocolate factory and I'll eat the chocolate myself and I give it to my wife. I need Jesus to transform the way that I love people and that I love him. But we can't do that unless he transforms us. I want us to be like Lydia today, to not let the gospel stop at being shared with us, but that we, be, we begin to consider what are the future implications of the gospel in your family, in this town, in your community, at your job, whatever it might be. Let's have a real encounter with Jesus and let him make us whole. The second invitation I would give is this. Maybe you're here and you haven't surrendered to the vision of the Christian life. Maybe everything I described sounds so foreign to you, not Jesus, but all of the life of everybody that the people in Philippi lived. Maybe you've never, this is, and I wanna tell you this, this is a common thing in the American South, in the Bible Belt, that Jesus can be savior of our life, but not Lord of our life. We need both. We need to love God's way and we need to live God's mission. You've attended, maybe you've even served, maybe you've even been in a group before, but maybe you haven't done that out of allegiance to Jesus, to his mission. And today you wanna to begin to participate in his mission. You have a very simple next step. There's a QR code on the back of the chair right in front of you. And I would just ask you to say a simple prayer, something like this. God, this feels crazy, but I wanna take a next step. And I want you to show me what you want me to do. And then you scan that QR code and you make a prayerful decision. These things that we have set up for next steps, these are not things that we want from you. This doesn't, this doesn't do anything, up, I don't know how else to say it. This is something we want for you. And we provide these things because we genuinely believe these things are gonna help us follow Jesus together. So if, if you wanna be transformed and you wanna have a genuine encounter with Jesus today for that first invitation, 
Chase is gonna lead us in a song. And I would just encourage you to find one of the prayer team members at the front and say, I've never had that life-changing experience like Lydia had on the beach. Man, I can't love the people in my life and I can't love God apart from him transforming my life. Would you just come and say that to somebody on the prayer team and they'll be glad to pray with you, talk with you. Nothing mystical or crazy is gonna happen, but you may just meet Jesus today. And the second one, please prayerfully consider how God might lead you into a next step. Let me pray. Lord God, we need you to move. God, I can't transform anybody. I can't change a heart. I can't change a life. But Lord God, Jesus, you can. I pray that you would change somebody's life today. Would you set us free? God, save us from being just busted, fake versions of a car that can have no use. But would we be set free today to be useful for your kingdom? It's in Jesus' name.